Well, it is good to be here, good to sing songs of worship to the Lord. What, a, what an incredible thing that we have the uh, privilege of worshiping the great I am. All right, listen, I need to excuse kids who are in first through fifth grade at this time. If you are in that age group, we've kept them in here for the time being. Uh, and uh, so maybe there won't be many, but at any rate, uh, we've been glad they were here. Uh, one other thing I want you to be thinking about, just keep in your mind, on the 18th of March, that's uh, three weeks from today, I think, uh, we're going to have a dinner here, another day when we get to move everything. This is kind of like kind of like the old days for those of you. How many of you were at Gloucester or were at Yorktown or Coastal when it kind of first started? Anybody? A few of you. So this is going to be a little bit like that for a while. Is that okay? We're, we're going to be moving stuff regularly, but we're going to have a dinner here. We want everybody to come. We're going to get you to sign up. We'll provide the main course and I don't know what else, whatever, whatever we decided to, to provide, and you'll bring the rest. And, uh, but we're just going to get a chance to sit around. Pastor Sean will be here again that Sunday. He's going to speak, and, and uh, we're going to enjoy some opportunity to fellowship and kind of just get a take a breath after our first uh, big run. And I want you to remember in your planning ahead, the, the plan is for Palm Sunday, which is uh, going to be a family Sunday with parent-child dedication, baptism, and communion are all going to happen. And we're all going to be together down at the Yorktown campus. Okay. So that's on Palm Sunday, the last Sunday of March. And then the first of April is Easter Sunday. And again, our plan is to be at the Yorktown campus together. So we'll have two weeks off here, then we come back uh, in high gear and keep on trucking. And we haven't even really officially launched, right? You understand that our official launch is going to be sometime in September. So uh, I'm really grateful for your willingness to come. We are continuing our study in uh, Abram's life, Abraham's life in Genesis. Today we're going to be in chapter 16, and I have a confession to make. I am not a terribly patient person. I'm really glad that my wife is back in kids ministry and left already because she doesn't say amen a lot out loud in church, but <laughs> probably would have at that statement. I get particularly annoyed with, with driving. It has just always been the bane of my existence. Um, not my driving, everybody else's, of course. <laughs> I hate people who go dramatically under the speed limit. I hate people who go way over the speed limit. I had a, a moment of self-righteous satisfaction yesterday. I drove over here to get a little stuff done in the morning, and uh, as we were going, this guy, he was just crawling all up my tail and finally got around me and zoomed on by, you know, and then I had an easy pass and he didn't, so I beat him through the bridge. <laughs> And then he took off again, and don't you know it, about three miles up, I saw a cop pull right in behind him and stop him, and I was like, yes, and I thought, that's really a horrible thing to admit. Um, you know, I hate tunnel traffic. We were in the tunnel last night, go down to Norfolk, and oh my goodness, why do people put their brakes on as they enter the tunnel? There's nothing in there that will bite, I promise. And I... I think that I'm not, I mean, I don't honk my horn. I'm not, you know, nobody else except the people in my car know about this. And I, I've I realized how much they know when our son Mitch, every once in a while, somebody will, you know, buzz in or cut you off or do something. And he'll just sit over there and say, really? And I'm like, oh no, I'm passing this on to my kid. Um, impatience is kind of, 
kind of part of our American way, right? We live in a world and in a, in a culture in which we want everything done quickly and right away. I mean, launching a campus is a great lesson from God on patience, right? I mean, we've, we've got to fix this and we've got to put it together and then we've got to move it and then we've got to put it back and now we're going to have to get rid of all the chairs and then bring them all back next weekend. And it's, it's a lesson in patience, which none of us are probably really good at, and some of us are particularly bad at, but Genesis 16 is kind of a lesson in what impatience can do when you're following the path that God has laid out for you. Because we have a story of of Abram and Sarai, who now it's been 10 years since God first called Abram. Over in uh, Ur of the Chaldees, he was a pagan. He had no knowledge whatsoever of the God, uh, Jehovah God. And nevertheless, when God said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you descendants, I'm going to make, be a blessing to you, and I'm going to use you to bless every nation of the earth, so I need you to start walking, and I'll let you know when you get to the land I'm going to give you. And, and Abraham started walking. And it's been 10 years now since they've been in the land of Canaan. Last week, we, we uh, studied chapter 15 and that covenant that to us perhaps seemed a very strange covenant ceremony where, where God, in the form of that smoking pot, the fire pot and so on, walked down through these pieces by himself, indicating he was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham no matter what. It was entirely dependent on him. And then we begin chapter 16, and we read this. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. We've known that from the beginning of the story. Chapter 11 of Genesis in verse 30 said, Abram, or Sarai, Abram's wife, was barren. She was unable to have children. That continues to be true. Ten years in, God has just gone through this really, really incredible ceremony that would have been so familiar to Abram in guaranteeing Abram you're going to have descendants so numerous it'll be like the stars of the sky. So this first section of this is kind of about helping God out. I don't know if you've ever done that but it's really easy, right? It's really easy to to be in a situation where it just seems like somehow or another God has has said, this is what I'm going to do, but it seems like he needs a little assistance here. here. Here's how it happened for them. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. 
Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled. It's really easy to want to try and help God out. There is a perpetual situation here, a perpetual problem. Sarai had born Abram no children, and it's been 10 years since that first was identified. So she gives him this misguided recommendation. I'm being kind in the way I say that, of course, but I don't want us to get too uptight at Sarai because what she's doing is perfectly acceptable culturally. Uh, since uh, And Abraham had brought up the idea of a servant in his home previously. If, if I have a servant in my home, I could adopt him, right? And then he'll become my heir. And God said, no, it's going to be someone of your own flesh and blood. Now, here we are sometime later, and Sarai says, well, clearly, this is not working the way God promised. So how about you take one of my servant ladies, and you go in and go into her, and she can conceive, and she'll bear a son, and we'll adopt that son, and then he will, in fact, be of your flesh and blood. And culturally, that was okay. But I'm interested in her thinking about it. God has kept me. God has made it so that I have not had children. He's prevented me from having children. So, of course, this is God's fault. He made a promise, and now he's not holding up his end of the bargain. We need to step in and help him out here. So they make this unwise adaptation. We'll take this firstborn son. We'll, we'll take this servant girl of mine, and you can uh, be intimate with her, and she will hopefully conceive, and then hopefully she'll have a son, and everything will all be good. So let's just stop and remember for a minute that carrying out God's will through worldly methodology, and particularly when we're trying to do it to skirt God's timing and planned, uh, planned timetable, never works well. It never ends well. Even if culture says that something's okay, that doesn't necessarily make it okay. I, I gotta tell you, I am really grateful among other, among many things, for so many of these people at Gloucester, when I look at the hands of folks who live here, who've been part of Coastal Community Church since it was meeting at Grafton High School, that is a lot of years of waiting. That's a lot of years of just waiting on God to do this, to do what we're enjoying today. And there have been people, and, and Pastor Sean is among them, who has for years prayed that God would open the way for us to have a campus of our church here on the Middle Peninsula. I'm really glad that nobody decided, you know what, we're just going to start one. We're just going to get going, and we're going to make this happen. Because if, if you have to make something happen, chances are pretty good God's not in it. Because we don't have to make stuff happen if God's in it. God is perfectly capable on his own, right? So, so there are always consequences. I'm sure as I'm reading down through those verses, you're thinking to yourself, everybody's really pretty much messed up in this passage of Scripture. I mean, there's really, there's really nobody who's stopping to say, hang on just a minute, let's do the right thing here, right? And inevitably, there's separation. And there's separation for everybody, Sarah is frustrated with Abram because I think 
it's because intuitively she knew he was the one that God made the promise to. He's the one responsible to lead his home spiritually, and he didn't. He should have said, no, this is not okay. Just because the culture says it's okay, it is not okay for me to commit adultery so we can carry out God's plan. Abram should have stepped up, but he didn't. I think it caused a separation between the two of them. And then, of course, even though it was Sarah's idea, she tried to blame Abram. This is, by the way, this is not a lesson in making sure you don't listen to your wife. Just making sure that's clear, okay? Always listen to your wife unless she's in sin and then come and go see Pastor Sean. <laughs> so Sarah and Sarai and Abram have separation. Obviously, Sarai and Hagar have separation. Hagar she, she's not responding well to this. All of a sudden, she gets prideful and, and manipulative and, and contemptuous. She is just not treating Sarai correctly at all. She has a rotten attitude. Ha, I, I'm, I'm pregnant. Look how quickly I got pregnant. You haven't been able to have a baby for 10 years. Aren't I just better than you? Look what I gave to your husband. And, of course, then... After Abram said, well, I mean, she's your servant, so do whatever you want. And she, Sarai began to treat her so badly that she ran away. None of this is good. And it's really all because they decided, you know what? I think God needs a little assistance here. God needs no assistance from you. He needs your participation but he's got it all under control. He doesn't need you to help figure it out. He just needs you to play your part. Is that clear enough distinction? We'll talk about that more as we move through this uh, series of studies. These last verses, though, from 7 to 16, this is really an incredible passage of Scripture. I'm going to read the whole thing, and we'll come back and take, take it through a bit at a time, meaning verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. I am going to stop there for a second. I want to say this much. Running away doesn't solve things. Running away from trouble does not resolve trouble. If we cannot figure out how to fix what the trouble is here, and we leave and take it with us over here, which we will do, it, it doesn't solve anything. She's, she's running. I, I can't do this. I'm fascinated by verse 9. The angel of the Lord, which, by the way, is a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus has come. The angel of the Lord is... is uh, Jesus, before he came to earth as Jesus the Christ, this is the second person of the Godhead coming, the angel of the Lord found her, and the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Sarah is being awful. She is still supposed to go back. I want you to remember this phrase. I learned it from a buddy of mine years ago, and I really love it. I want to be under the spout where the blessing comes out. I think that's a really fun phrase, but I think that's exactly what this, the angel of the Lord is saying to Sarai here. God has promised to bless Abram. If you want to be part of that blessing, you need to be near Abram. 
You need to be under the spout where the blessing comes out. Go back and submit. He wanted her to change her behavior, quit running, and go back. He wanted her to change her attitude. Submit means you're no longer going to be disrespectful. It means you're no longer going to be contemptuous toward your mistress. So you're going to be a person who submits to her. The blessing would come, which there is one, after the command to return. I want to say this hard thing. God does not always rescue us from our difficulties. The solution from the Lord is not always escape from our trouble, from our stresses, from our, the pressures. Sometimes it is in fact the intention of God for us to stay where we are and for us to have the grace that he gives to continue to endure. It's not always the answer. God is not always saying, well, you need someplace different to be. In fact, that should almost never be. It should, should never be your first option. Don't automatically assume that because this is just, this is this way and it's been this way for so I just can't take this anymore, therefore I should go. Sometimes, many times, God does not rescue but leaves us there and gives us strength. So there is a blessing and there is a reality in these next verses. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael means God hears. Every time she mentioned her son's name, she would remember that occasion in the wilderness when she was pregnant, running away from a bad situation, and knew that God had heard her, had listened to her cries. You're going to have numerous descendants. You're going to have a son, which was very important culturally, but probably the most important thing the angel of the Lord said to her was that phrase, God hears you. Psalm 10, verse 17 says, You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From Psalm 22. God hears. There is some reality here, and, and I want to take a little bit of a different approach on these next couple of verses. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. There's vernacular that we would probably use in there, but maybe not in church. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. It's not going to be easy but you're going to have a son and he's going to have a multitude of descendants and there's going to be some difficulties as a result of it. Don't, don't let yourself get too carried away. I actually did a little bit of research. Imagine it always helps. 
Not every person from every Arab nation is a descendant of Ishmael, so please don't think, oh, well, if they hadn't done this, we wouldn't have all this trouble in the Middle East. It's not really true. Um, here's, what, here's what I just love about this. Genesis chapter 37. We're fast-forwarding a few years. And there will be an occasion when a young man named Joseph who has a bunch of dreams that God has given to him, and he tells his siblings and his parents, listen, I, basically, I'm going to be the big dog, and you're all going to bow down to me, which, of course, never goes over well when you say that to your siblings, especially. And they're frustrated enough by it that they eventually sell Joseph into Egypt. Just so happens that a group of traders come by, a caravan of people that Genesis 37 describes as Ishmaelites. And they buy Joseph and they take him to Egypt. And he spends all those years in Egypt going through all those really difficult times. And by the time we get to Genesis 15, Joseph is the big dog. There's only one person more uh, higher in authority in Egypt than him, and that's the Pharaoh himself. And when all is said and done and Joseph's talking to his brothers, he says, you guys meant this for evil, God meant it for good. God was starting that process back here in Genesis 16 with the birth of Ishmael, who would become the kinsman of those Ishmaelite traders who would buy Joseph and take him to Egypt and put him through all of that difficulty so that eventually all the children of Israel could be brought under the protection of Egypt during this incredible drought when surely they all would have died otherwise. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good so that many lives could be saved today. And even in the midst of this, I want you to be encouraged that you may have really boogered some things up you may have made some really stupid decisions. I want you to know you cannot mess up God's sovereign plan. You aren't that powerful. Don't, don't give yourself, and I don't mean that to put you down. I mean that to encourage you. Don't, don't let yourself think, oh, man, I have just completely ruined everything. No, you haven't. God takes even our sinful choices and is somehow in his incredible wisdom and sovereign power able to turn them and use them in a way that will glorify him. Pretty encouraging, don't you think? Pretty amazing to me. Powerful insight, verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, or you are the God who sees for she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. What I love that phrase, don't you? God looks after me. She wasn't technically at the time part of God's chosen people, but God was looking after her, caring for her. Met her in the wilderness when she was ready to just run away and anything was better than where she was. God Sees. Therefore, verse 14, the well was called Be'er Lahairoi, the well of the one who lives and sees. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son and called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Psalm 139 says this, Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. If you're here this morning and you just wonder a little bit if maybe you've somehow gotten off of God's radar, if you hear nothing else from me today, hear this. You are not off of God's radar. He knows exactly where you are. And he will come to you in your pain and in your difficulty. And if you will submit yourself to him and his will for your life, he will do He will fit you into his plan in a way that you cannot imagine. It's not all going to be fun and it's not all going to be easy and it wouldn't be for Hagar. But she was part of what God was doing in the world. And I think somebody probably is sitting here thinking, okay, if God hears me and if God sees me, then why are things still the way they are? And that comes back to our impatience. Sometime I'll share my testimony a little more in depth with you about the five years prior to my coming on staff at Coastal. Uh, I am exceedingly grateful for the opportunity to be a pastor again. Uh, I was for a lot of years, and then I spent five years being a carpenter living in the area here. Nothing against carpenters. I'm very glad for them. Uh, And I did okay, but it's not what I knew God called me to do. And I had a few of these kinds of experiences in those five years. And uh, eventually God made a way and gave me an opportunity to be part of something that I would never have been able to dream up on my own. So it's really cool. So if you are in a situation right now where you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Years ago, Chuck Swindoll, one of, our, one of the standout preachers from a former generation, said this, human beings are the only creatures on the planet who run faster when they get lost. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, though? Most other creatures will just stop right where they are and get their berries. We just start running because at least we're making good time. So if you're thinking, you know, maybe I got off of God's radar, let me, let me give you a couple of thoughts, maybe, maybe a couple of challenges. You may think you're alone, really alone, but let me ask you this, are you alone because you wandered off? If the place of blessing is where, it, it, the place of blessing is where God says it is, not where you want it to be. And maybe you need to get back under the spout. Right? Maybe you need to, to get back. Maybe you've just said, you know what? There's, there's not a convenient place for me to go to church over here in Gloucester that I really like. I'm glad you're here if that's the case for you. And I hope you will stay here because I am fully convinced that the blessing of God is on Coastal Community Church and that's why we're here. We're not here because we just want something else to do. Uh, we're not here because the, the pastors on staff we're getting a little bored, so we need more preaching time. You know, it's not, we're not here because our musicians thought, oh, we've, all, we've only got three services there. Let's add another one or two. We're here because God is blessing Coastal, and we have to be here. 
This is, this is because this is necessary in the plan of God. So I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll stay. Maybe you've put yourself in these circumstances. Maybe there's sin in your life. Maybe you need to be like Abram and Sarai and recognize I've made decisions and I've made choices that have put me where I am. And you need to come back to God and you need to repent and, and seek his restoration in your relationship with him. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ. Maybe you've been going it alone. Boy, there's nothing more lonely than trying to get to heaven all by yourself and on your own merit. Because first of all, that street doesn't go that direction. You, you can't do that. It's just not, not because you're just not strong enough. It's nobody can do that. So if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ as your only hope of salvation, man, stick around, would you, after the service? Come find Nate or me, or we, we've got people that'll be here available to talk with you. I would love to sit down and show you from Scripture how you can know your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, you're in a right relationship to God, you're part of his covenant community, part of what he was beginning way back here in the book of Genesis. Maybe, or are you in circumstances that are beyond your control? Sometimes some of the most frustrating things are circumstances that we've gotten into, and I mean, Hagar didn't, Hagar didn't ask to be a slave. Hagar didn't ask to become a surrogate mother. She was assigned that task. Sometimes we are in circumstances beyond our control, and it feels very lonely. Let me, let me give you a couple of verses that I hope will encourage you with the answer to this question, and that is, are you truly alone? If you are a child of God by faith in Christ, are you truly alone? Please don't, uh, don't think I'm trying to make this simplistic. I understand sometimes we want human companionship, and there's something about that, which is why we are so committed to small group ministry and people living, being in community together, not just showing up at church. But verse 2 of, or rather chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 12 and 13 say this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants and the promise, without hope and without God in the world. There's nothing more lonely than that. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. If you are in Christ this morning, you are not alone. You have family. You have family here sitting around you this morning for starters. And we would love to be part of that journey with you. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. I will never leave you or forsake you. This is, this is the writer to the Hebrews remembering God's promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. So therefore, his conclusion is, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Worst thing man can do to me is kill me. And then I go to heaven. And while we aren't wanting to uh, promote that any more quickly than necessary, I mean the death part, the end for a believer is really not a bad deal. And until that day comes, I will never leave you. In fact, the way it's worded there in Hebrews chapter 11, it starts with the word never for emphasis. Never will I leave you. Never 
will I forsake you. It's never going to happen. Did I put the wrong verse up there? I'll bet it's chapter 13, isn't it? Chapter 13, excuse me. My fault. Not the lady on the screen. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're discouraged or frustrated because you're just feeling like, man, I'm just wandering around here in the desert. There are some things you can do about that. And I want to encourage you after we're done singing here in a little bit, come on up front. Let's just sit and talk a little. You know, we're, we're happy to be part of this process. I think, I think Coastal as a church family has a, a great understanding of what it means to, to walk with God and the process needed to do that. We're not going to give you a bunch of rules and regulations. We're not going to give you 14 things you have to attend and then try and still fit the rest of your life in. We, we want you in worship, we want you in a small group, and we want you serving God somehow. Uh, it's, it doesn't have to overwhelm you. In fact, it's there to support you and strengthen you in your journey. So I hope you'll come and talk to us if that's what you need. Uh, God is good, right? I mean, he takes us in the midst of our most frustrating circumstances and, and can work his miracles in our life that maybe don't look like what we thought they would, but they will, they will end up accomplishing his will and his purpose and being used for his glory. And sometimes, like that song we sang earlier, all I have is Christ. You know, that's okay. If all you have is Christ, you've got more than many, many people around you. And I hope that that's true for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the example of people in the scripture, even this man who we know is the father of our faith and is used as uh, someone who is uh, exemplary. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that I pray that you'd encourage those who might be here this morning that are struggling because they're just uh, feeling lonely, feeling left out, feeling like you forgot about them. Lord, I know that that's not true. I know from scripture that you never leave and you never forsake your children. So I pray that you would encourage their hearts this morning. I pray that you would continue to, uh, to bless and encourage us as we seek to move ahead together uh, here as Coastal Community Church and as we expand the ministry of this church that you have blessed so uh, here on the Middle Peninsula, Lord, I pray that you would honor yourself by, the, by using us to, to minister to many lives of many people who are either outside of Christ or are just lonely in, in their walk with you. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, encourage our hearts today, lift us up, remind us of the, the joy that we have and the, the confidence we have in Christ. We're so grateful for that. I thank you for your kindness to us and, and giving us the privilege of being your children and part of your great covenant community and your plan in the world. Lord, what an amazing thing that we're part of that. Thank you for it in Jesus' name.